0: I genuinely, sincerely believe if organizations can pivot to one that is adaptive, you will see a much greater level of productivity.
1: Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business, how they influence the fourth industrial revolution, and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody, I'm Terry Barbonis, excited to be here with you on the first episode of Light Data Action. I want to kick this series off by talking about this idea of adaptability, the need for both individuals and companies to truly adapt in response to a changing post-pandemic world. What does that mean? Why does it matter? Um, What do we need to do to achieve this adaptability? Joining me in this conversation is Bryn Norton, VP of Platform Adoption at Lumen, and somebody that spends quite a bit of time thinking about and talking to people about the need for adaptability. Bryn, welcome. Do you want to briefly talk about your role at Lumen? Because I think it's pretty interesting for the audience to hear.
0: Yeah, thanks, Terry, and, and a pleasure to be here, mate. So my role at Lumen, in a nutshell, is working with customers to understand what outcomes technology can deliver for them as an organization, and how and when to lean in. Because sometimes technology isn't the right answer, sometimes it is. It's about helping them go on that pragmatic journey so they can begin to realize value from technology as a whole. Now, sometimes that answer will be lumen, sometimes that answer won't be lumen. But again, it's about value creation and achieving those outcomes for
1: organizations. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So let me let me start by by looking at this idea. This is sort of my perspective of, you know, adopt versus adapt. Um, So to me, when we say adopt, it's what we all had to do to deal with the effects of a pandemic. Right. We we accepted a new set of behaviors to allow us to live and work while trying to stay safe. But it wasn't necessarily intended to be uh, something that we did in, in the long term. And we're coming up here in March to two years of sort of this forced experiment of having to adopt. But now we need to adjust and we need to incorporate changes to our culture, our behaviors, and technology to truly become adaptable and be able to move more readily. Uh, to be able to more readily respond to future crises and events that affect our lives and our, and our businesses. So I'm curious, Bryn, what is your perspective on it? This adopt, which is what we had to do to adapt, is it just splitting hairs and they're the same, or is there really a difference with what we did and what we have to do moving forward?
0: I would say there's a fundamental difference. Okay. So if you, you take a step back, so let's kind of go back to 2018, I do 2019, we were all talking about digital transformation and you had different types of user groups. You had organizations really leaning into that narrative and you had organizations leaning out of it. And also you had a third group and the third group were talking about it, but weren't necessarily had a clear direction. They had a They had a vision. They had an aspiration, but they didn't necessarily have a path to completion. I I vividly remember speaking to a very senior member of of an organization out in New York. I'll I'll keep him nameless for this sort of response. But we were talking about the concept of homeworking. Uh, And in in, this conversation was ironically in January, uh, just before RSA. No, we we don't do homeworking. It doesn't work for our business model. I I spoke to that individual six months later. He had 35,000 offices that were now connected to his world. So... That, that, that change had been forced on them as an organization and they had to react quickly. And it was a case of keeping the lights on. So the decisions that were made during that period may not necessarily have been the best long-term decisions because you're, you're thinking tactically rather than strategically. And, and the reality of, of this is actually America did a good job. The economy kept ticking over through all of this disruption but it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision. And what I meant by that is that they didn't take, they didn't step back. They didn't spend months evaluating the best, best path forward. People reacted to that moment in time. What we think happened, well, not think, is what, what we observed is that, you know, there's this running joke that, you know, digital transformation, you know, five years worth of digital transformation happened in five weeks or two years in two weeks, whatever narrative. But what it's talking about is that compression of time. And out of the back of that, there's going to be winners and losers. But the key point is, did they opt in? And, and that's why I think it's really interesting right now, because we can take a breath. We can think about, well, what does this mode of operation mean for us? Did we make the right decisions? Because again, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And can we go back and adjust? And I think employees, businesses, are really a, quite an interesting nexus. And they can go either way. So they can go, do you know, well, actually I think there's three ways they can go. They can either go, well, let's just go back to normal. Let's everybody go back into the office and let's carry on and let's just pretend the last two, three years didn't happen. So that's option number one The challenge with option. Number one, I think Terry, you'll agree with me. People like me and you actually do enjoy being able to take the dog for a walk.
1: Oh lunch. yes, absolutely.
0: We, we, we like that air of freedom. Right. To a point. Um, the next group is, I think is what you're touching on here, which is we're talking about the forced motion. Adoption, yeah, where I continue to work in this mode. But the risk about that is that you can potentially end up with disenfranchising and creating a digital divide between your organisations and how your organisations work. And it's not necessarily the most productive. Well, the third option is adapt. And adapt for me is about having a conscientious decision about how you you democratise the digital experience for your users across your organisation. So it doesn't matter, I don't know, Terry, I'm going to pick on you slightly here. Doesn't matter if you're on the golf course or whether or not you're in the bar or up a mountain, wherever. You have the same application experience and you can be just as productive. And to me, that's the the delineation between those two different modes. I genuinely, sincerely believe if organizations can pivot to one that is adaptive, you will see a much greater level of productivity from your Salesforce, a much better internal user experience, which will have a net impact on revenue, profitability, and also your end customer experience. Because everybody knows there's been multiple studies around this. Happy employees deliver happy customers. So very roundabout way of answering your question, Terry, but that's how I begin to look at this.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really great. I mean, essentially what you're saying is, sure, everybody has a choice. Companies have a choice to just say, you know what? Good enough is good enough. Mm-hmm. but they're, um, they're picking a path that's not going to be favorable for them. I mean, it, it reminds me of the, the famous Charles Darwin uh, quote. Uh, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It's the one that most adaptable to change. That's really what we're talking about here. It doesn't matter who you are, what industry you're in, or as an individual, obviously, because companies are made up of people, Um, this isn't a, well, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. This needs to happen. And as a matter of fact, it's already happening, whether we like it or not.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. I I also think there's another pressure here as well. And that that is the consumer, the consumer. And when I talk about consumer, there's two types of consumers. Your employees, your staff are consumers. They're consuming your services to allow them to do their role, okay? And you also have end consumers, i.e. someone consuming goods. And I'm going to use a little story about me, and I, <laughs> and this is one I've said a few times. But when I when I came to the US, obviously not a national, as you can tell by the accent, and I moved to North Denver, I was a little bit surprised about shopping. So I absolutely pathologically hate shopping. Uh, you ask any of my friends, my wife, my family, if that's my nemesis. Uh, so I, I used to heavily do everything online. So come to come to Denver think, hey, this is America, this is Denver, it'll all be digital, it'll all be online. And I was really underwhelmed with my options. And and I wasn't able to have a good digital experience to get deliveries for food. Come COVID, come a pandemic, obviously a lot of those organizations had to pivot their business model. They went online and I started having a really good digital experience. I had multiple different options where I could go and order my groceries from. I've got Mod, they're, they're prompting stuff to me. They're reminding me of stuff to buy. They can deliver within two hours. I get a little photo. It's delivered, it's outside your Brick. Would you like to go and get it? Uh, I've even got the likes of Amazon where they can go and now deliver it into my garage because I've linked my garage to them. So, but I've got a, the point here is I've got a really slick digital experience. So as we come out of the last two years, am I going to go back to supermarkets? No, why would I? I can have a great digital experience on my mobile device. So that application experience, that bar for me has been set higher. So now let's pivot to work. I go back into work. I have a much higher expectation of that application experience because in my consumer life, I get a great application experience. And I think for use for businesses, that's going to drive more pressure. You know, and I'm going to say nameless because I, just in case our IT IT team are listening to this uh, podcast, but I had an experience a couple of days ago where I had to go and fill an online form and I was getting a really bad application experience. I was getting frustrated. I was getting genuinely wound up by this. And I just took a step back and said, well, it's only been 10 seconds waiting for a page to load. But that's become so abnormal that when it does happen, I get frustrated by it. So the message here, Terry, is as you start thinking about your evolved organization, but you're going to be you're going to have a higher user perception of technology and what they expect from that technology. So again, it's driving a greater level of adaptability. If that makes sense, sir.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I was just going to ask you, and I'll ask you in a second about about culture because I think that's important. But if we talk about technology for a second, you know, if you look at something like uh, mobile apps, mm-hmm. so the usage of mobile apps has obviously skyrocketed. Uh, uh, you know, gone through the roof, uh, especially over the last two years. You have, uh, there was recently an article I read about uh, restaurants that had relied on third parties uh, to do the delivery, but, you know, that's a new cost for them. Yeah. At the same time, they can't just stop not dealing with deliveries because the customer is demanding it. Yeah. So some of this technology was already apps like an uh, Uber or DoorDash and so forth for food, for example, have been around prior to the pandemic. What, what's changed now from a technology perspective? Or is it not so much the technology has changed, but the push and the downward pressure from customers to have that as their primary vehicle in interacting with companies or individuals feeling more comfortable now sitting on their couch watching television ordering dinner because even without a pandemic why go out if the experience is so good to your point so what's actually changed is it is it the that the technology has to has to get better and, or is it that the use of the technology, even as it stood, has to become more, more pervasive because customers are demanding it and there's no turning back?
0: Okay. Yeah, no, good question. Good question. I think mean, let's let, let kind of break that down into a few parts. So if the question is, do I think there's new technology that suddenly appeared and front ta no, this is about adoption of technology. This is about what was seen as aspirational now becoming mainstream. So that's about my, my first point, Terry. I think the access to technology has also become easier. So what I mean by that is, is the institutional knowledge or the capital expenditure to consume that technology has reduced. Think about things like AI, yeah? You know, AI historically was kind of <laughs> this you know, owned by the large, big corporate institutions. And uh, now there are multiple dis- different disruptive technologies or uh, technology companies coming to market. That's driving the change. So it's about a forced cultural change and an inflection point, which has happened during the pandemic. It's a reduction in the underlying unit cost to consume and the knowledge to consume has drive that change. And, and then finally, ease. Yeah, We have been forced to use this technology and we've kind of gone, oh, actually, this is all right. I kind of like this. I want to keep this. Buying behaviors change with different technology. Right. So I'll use a really good example, retail. So I, I actually <laughs> didn't believe this until I recently witnessed this, was that an online basket is half the value of an in-store basket.
1: Okay. Right.
0: So if you think about a retailer's challenge with this new technology is Brin going into a store used to spend a hundred bucks. Now he's buying online. It's 50 bucks. Yeah. Right. How do I get Bryn to spend a hundred bucks again? Because right. Bryn's still visiting me once a week. I'm getting half a return. I, and, and I was a little bit skeptical about that data point until quite recently when there was an issue, with one of the apps that we use, and we actually went to the store and I had my basket still in the app, but I couldn't process it for one reason or another. And I went to the store and genuinely my uh, receipt was twice fat. Because again, that whole experience was choreographed. For me. Yeah. So I think the other piece around this technology and the adoption, what's spurring greater adoption is how do I, how do I drive greater profitability into my organization with a change in shopping and buying behaviors in that scenario,
1: mate? Sure. Yeah. Very interesting for sure. So let me, let me, um, let me segue for a second from the technology and, and talk a little bit about, um. Culture, Bryn. You yeah. know, you you talk to business leaders all the time. I'm sure you hear this. You see it all over the news. Um, when we talk about how companies are going to change and react uh, to the changes in the world and how they're going to adapt, you hear a lot of uh, comments about maintaining culture. We have to maintain culture. But to me, it seems like with where we are today, with things like this. So-called war on talent and the Great Resignation, um, employees are obviously feeling very empowered, and they're being more demanding because they can be. They got used to two years working in a manner that is, uh, in some cases, more suitable for them. Um, you know, working from home and so forth. And so, to me, the yes, you need to have a culture, but I don't think maintaining. The prior culture is necessarily the answer. I think you need to redevelop your culture to directly tie it into that adaptability and have it as the underpinning. So whether it's your employees uh, or your customers or anybody you do business with, they understand and, and they um they buy into that culture to allow you to be successful. Is, is that the way you look at it or is that a, an accurate way to look at this whole idea of culture and where it fits into this? Interesting. It's
0: interesting. I, as, you, as, you, as I listen to you talk about that, there's parts of me nodding, there's part of me stepping back a little bit. I, and I think, I think the first thing to start with, let, let's acknowledge that culture is really important. Okay? It's right. part of your brand identity, as an organization and that culture can attract business. It can also detract business. So that's, that's one lens. The other lens is around culture around talent. I sincerely believe that technology is a really important part of the culture that you want to create as an organization. The other element of it, I do also hold very close to kind of my own personal belief is that culture needs to continually evolve. right? So if I I think back to my own career, working in the technology space now nearly for two decades, the culture of the sales organization that I worked in there is a complete night and day to the culture of a sales organization I now work in. And that evolution is a good thing. And I think the really smart organizations are going to be leaning in right now to understand how they can get positive benefit From culture so i would kind of push back on that statement saying we must retain culture we must retain culture we must keep culture right i retort as we must evolve culture right i would give you a really bad example of technology and culture and i'm not sure if you've experienced this terry but i'm sure some of the people have experienced this the zoom fatigue or the video fatigue or the team's fatigue whatever whatever moniker you want to give it let's call it a collaboration tool fatigue right you know, you, you, you're now working from home, you're on video calls from seven in the morning to eight, nine o'clock at night. That's a negative impact of technology and culture. So it's about leaning into what do you want your culture to be? What do you want to be known as from a business, from a brand, both internally and externally? How do you want to bring talent in? How do you want to maintain talent? how do you want to operate how do you want to motivate how do you want to inspire that's all part of that cultural then bringing that back to what technology can help me achieve that but my only counsel would be don't over rotate and again going back to that ucnc type fatigue as it was so yeah. that's how i think about culture and the yeah. winners will be the guys that do lean into that
1: yeah exactly and and i love you know your your um your concept of evolving the culture and, you know, and, and I'm certainly not saying that you need to blow culture, your, your existing culture up completely, but I think it definitely needs to uh, evolve. And we're starting to see some of that now just with, I mean, there's companies recently that have announced they're experimenting with four day work weeks um, to, to lean into that, uh, you know, that radical flexibility of working from anywhere at any time from any device. So I think that's very cool. Um so here's here's another thing that I that I think about with this. So you've got you've got this um, need to adapt. You've got technology that are going to underpin it. You've got a culture. You have a business that's being driven more and more by data, right? What we see in this, uh, you know, this promise of a fourth industrial revolution. You have a distributed workforce. You have customers that want to be able to use an app from any device to interact with you. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that trust is a huge piece of this, right? Yes. And, and, and I think it falls into two categories. Um, I think there's trust from the perspective of an employee trusting that an employer is going to do right by them. There's customers wanting to feel good about doing business with a company where any data and information that's exchanged as part of a transaction is protected. And then there's the technology side of it, of an organization that now has employees working from everywhere. How do you protect those interactions and those connections, trusted connections, if you will? So when we, when we look at all that as part of be, becoming more adaptable, how do you see, what lens do you use to look at trust overall, whether it's employee, uh, customer, or then just the physical trust, if you will, of the technology needed to be able to support that, um, that approach? Yeah, that's
0: multifaceted, my friend. So let's start with the consumer. So I saw some recent IDC data, I think it was IDC, IDC data that said 70% of consumers do not trust, and I'm paraphrasing here, 70% of consumers do not trust businesses with their data. That's a fundamental problem. Right. And again, I'm going to go back to Bryn shopping. Those retailers want my data because they want to double the size of my basket, they want to encourage me to buy stuff. Well, how do they encourage me to buy stuff? They understand my habits. Yeah, Bryn likes these types of vegetables. Yeah, Bryn likes these types of snacks. Let me, let me position those to them. Let me target him. But they can only do that if I let them have my data. Look at loyalty Cards, a really good example of that. Really good example of that. Uh, m- mining data. So the ability to build a trust relationship between your brand and a consumer is, it, it, it has to be of the utmost priority as you move forward. And you know, one of the questions I'm, I'm always asking when I'm sitting down with a customer, what are you doing to do that? What programs are you putting in place to build trust with your consumers? Because you're gonna to want to do that because data has intrinsic value. So I think that's the first part of it um, and very important part of it, Terry. Right. The second part of it, I think you talked about is that trusted connections. And I kind of, the way that I think about that, our worlds are becoming more connected, more dispersed. We're putting more intelligent devices into locations. And I, I kind of think of it, if you think about a business landscape, I think of it like a balloon. And I keep blowing air into that balloon. As, and as that balloon grows bigger and bigger, that attack surface increases. And it's really interesting when I speak with leaders, you kind of got two camps. You've got the camp that's leaning into that, and as they're creating new products and new services, security, as an example, is on that journey with them and an intrinsic part of that community. But then you have the other camp, which is hasn't necessarily connected the dots. So again, I think there's a big risk there. And I mean, there's a lot of great solutions out there. I mean, you can start thinking about things like zero Trust, SASE. They obviously intertwine as part of that. That's why that whole need is growing. But this is not a bad thing, by the way. This is a good thing. Right. Because these worlds are growing and becoming more dispersed because you're getting value by moving data, by having your individuals lean into an adaptive, radical working mode. You're getting greater productivity. So I, I don't want to seem like a naysayer because I'm a big fan of it but you need to have a pragmatic thought process about risk as you go on that journey. And again, you know, I don't want to turn this into an ad, but that's one of the, one of the things I'm very proud of from a Lumen perspective, because again, it's about leaning in with that platform to wrap around your world to build that trust as it were. And that needs to be the, the lens that I would counsel organizations to think about. How do I look at risk? How do I look at change management? How do I look at control? And again, I'm going to go back to a word I used in the previous question. How do I look at my brand and how that brand appears into the market to build that trust around security? Because I want it. I want a dispersed world. I want to move my data. And I want people to give me my data. So that's the lens that I look at that through Terry.
1: Yeah. And I think it's beneficial for companies to, you know, from a marketing perspective to their employees, their customers, they should be very vocal about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously customers expect that their data is not going to be leaked breaches we know happen all the time. Yeah. But I think it's smart, a uh, smart, strategic uh, marketing approach to be very vocal about the steps that you take to reinforce that, because I think now more than ever, that's going to get you greater brand loyalty. And I think internally, as I said earlier, I think employees want to work for a company, you know, that understands risk and it's putting processes and uh, technology in place to allow them to, to feel secure as an employee for that organization.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one other thing. I'd, I'd also want to touch on, Terry, just, just running with that a little bit. I think one of the things sometimes the business community misses, and I, and, I, and I don't want to talk about how, you know, there's X viruses and all that type of jazz, but just take a step back, 10,000 foot view. The bad actors who are carrying out external threats because there are internal threats. I'm not nullifying, but I just want to focus on the external ones for a second. They're well-organized businesses. You know, the day of a script kiddie in their basement targeting certain brands, in my opinion, is gone. You know, they're, they're well-organized businesses that are out there targeting everybody. And then the message here is everybody has that same level of risk. I mean, I'll give you a really good example again, another personal one. So when I, when I moved to Denver, when I got my first mobile phone, got my first American number, been in the country five days, and I get a phone call uh, from the IRS. Nice. It's informing me that uh, I have two years' worth of back taxes owed, and if I don't resolve it now, uh, and a warrant will be issued, whatever the correct language is for my arrest, press one to speak to an officer. You know me quite well and my sense of humor, so I had to press one. It was just too easy. I had to press
1: one. Of course.
0: Yeah, you do. You just had it. And I'm put through to Officer Dave. And Officer Dave's got his script. And Officer Dave's taking me through it and explaining to me the risk, how he needed my details, how I need to make a, a token payment now, so on and so forth. And it, it was really interesting. So as I'm going through his journey, oh, clearly, I didn't have any liability with the IRS. I'd only been in North America for five days, so... Right. Already, it, very obvious to me this is a scam, even before the other telltales. Yeah. The other elements of it, as, as part of this, I, I took a breath and I just listened to that environment that Officer Dave was sat in. He was sat in a contact center. I could hear other Officer Daves having the same conversation around them with other unsus- unsuspecting individuals. Right. What he's done, he's gone and attacked me based on my name and a mobile number. They even had an IVR, they're orchestrated businesses. Now, what Officer Nave didn't know is that I was a UK national, but I'd only been in the US for five days. So where I'm going with this mate is everybody has that same level of risk, that same level of challenge and businesses are in the same position. So as they're starting to go through change, they need to be cognizant that the bad actors out there are also leaning into this new technology to take advantage of them as well. So it cuts both ways.
1: Yeah, and you definitely, and obviously that speaks to, you talk about risk. If your bad actors are using technology, that's better than the technology that that you're using or at least be able to defend against, right? We see that all the time with with cybersecurity. If you get ransomware attacks and your backups happen to be online where they can encrypt your backups as well, um, it's not gonna end w- well for, for you and the operation of your business. So it's important that we, stay on top and be cognizant of the fact that um, that to your point, everyone is leaning in, including those individuals that want to do us harm or slow down our business.
0: Yeah, um, that, that's about having strong partners around you, my friend.
1: Yeah, yeah. So two two more questions, uh, Bryn, to sort of round this out. And I think this, again, thank you for the discussion. It's been great. Um, one, where do you see adaptability evolving to beyond 2023? 22, right? What do you see it in sort of the next, say, yeah. over the next five years? Do we see an acceleration? Do we still see a profound uh, uh, evolution in terms of uh, adoption and so forth? Or, you know, does it slow down because there are barriers for some companies that they're still trying to, to overcome? Where do you see that from your perspective?
0: Yeah, okay. So the futurist in me would like to believe that accelerates. Right. But if I look at it from a purely altruistic viewpoint, I think, frankly, you're going to end up with two different modes. You're going to end up with disruptors and disrupted. So you're going to end up with individuals leaning into creating an adaptable workforce, understanding how to optimize their talent and to do business more effectively. Now, when we talk about adaptable workforce, that may be... As simple as what roles can i automate through robotics and automation how can i shift my individuals into more uh fulfilling roles it will also be about how do i create better and stronger connections between my brand internally and my and my internal consumers and how do i create greater work-life balance to drive um productivity gains. And I, I I, do think you'll end up with some sort of form of bifurcation in the market and that will impact organizations ability to grow at pace. Right. Because again, I'm gonna go back to, we have just gone through two very long years and quite a few people, their perception of their relationship with work has changed. And we need to lean into that. We need to capitalize on that. So right. that's where I see it going, my friend. Um, do I see net new technology suddenly appearing and going, haha, here I am? No. What I do see is the access to that technology decreasing. I see more structured thought processes around the application experience and the user experience. And then I start looking at things and, and you know, we've talked about this previously in other conversations, but low orbit satellites opening up new markets, new connectivity, increasing talent pools and your relationship with work and where you work. That's just one example, by the way. I'm not saying that's an linchpin, but again, these are all part of that whole piece.
1: Right. And I assume at the same time, as we chatted earlier, that would also apply to that ongoing evolution of, of the culture itself, hopefully getting stronger um, and so forth. So from that perspective, is there any, I guess, advice that you would offer, either, either, you know, individuals uh, or businesses, business leaders, um, in terms of making sure that they are on a path to successfully um, adapting and being a, you know, being, as you said earlier, a disruptor rather than being disrupted in in this evolving, again, new norm in this new. Post-pandemic world.
0: Yeah, I, I think the first thing is to when you start thinking about your investment cycles, be very cognizant of flexibility. How could you, call, you know, a ball in motion is easier to redirect than pushing a ball to start with. If that makes sense, my friend. So right. as you're making those buying decisions and investment decisions, start thinking about how easy would it be to course correct. Is this actually giving me a truly flexible? Or am I now walking into a world of vendor locking? So that's number one. So that to me is evolving that technical cul-de-sac. The second piece, and going back to what we talked about earlier, take security on a journey with you. Security should not be the team that you go to at the end of it going, "Tada! look what i just done, what do you think? Right. They need to be going along that process. And they need to be tightly in step with the DevOps teams as you evolve internal and external products. So that's the second point. I mean, the third point, and I don't mean this in a confrontational way, but listen to the employees. What motivates the teams? What motivates them about your culture and how they can lean in and how you can lean in with technology to make that frictionless? Because frictionless technology and that interaction between them, you, and your organization, and I'm talking about you as a leader, it's gonna be really important to help you retain and grow talent. So, you know, there was a saying that a friend of mine told me many, 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 many years ago. I won't tell you how many years because I start dating myself. Be audibly ready. So be ready for change. So building a platform, building an environment that can manage change in a frictionless way will be the key to the winners, in my opinion. And again, from a Lumen perspective, I think we've got a good story on how we can help people on that journey. So, Terry, that would be my gambits to start with.
1: I, I think it's uh, I think that's great. Thank you again for the conversation. I certainly look forward to having you on the show again. Uh, we talk about other topics. Thank you again to the uh, listeners. Hopefully, you will join us again um, as we continue this conversation. You'll join that conversation. Um, so, until next time, this is Terry Barbonis. Thank you for listening to Light Data Action. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show. And I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.